I will be reading from John 15, verses 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no, has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow our heads in prayer and ask that God would give us life from the vine of Christ this morning. God, we come to you confessing, admitting that we are weak. In many ways, we are withering. There are parts of our lives that are branches that need to be pruned. Sometimes we feel like we're floundering. God, I know many in this room, even today, are feeling despair, fear, great sadness and pain, and they wonder what it's all for. When will it be done? Help us trust, God, that when we abide in Christ, when we continue to return over and over again to Christ, that these difficult moments in life are simply pruning, cutting out the parts of us that, that are sucking away energy that could be used for bearing fruit. God, you have much fruit for us to bear. And ask that by this word today, you would strengthen us. Give us more of your spirit that we may live faithfully and bear fruit to the glory of our Heavenly Father. Amen. 
When you have more than just two kids, somehow there's some people out there that think it's totally appropriate to approach someone they barely know and make what they think is an original funny joke. Have you figured out how this happens yet? Yes, people have said that to me on more than one occasion. Not often, but more than is appropriate. And the reason why people think that is so funny is because as much as our society tries to separate the concepts of sex and childbearing, we all know that the natural result of two bodies becoming one flesh is two people making a new person. It would be utterly ridiculous to think that you can create a child without an intimate relationship with someone of the opposite sex. It's a biological necessity. As much counseling as I've done as a pastor, I've never had anybody come to me and say they just can't figure out where babies come from, even though they and their wife, he and his wife, talk about how are we going to have babies. Nobody, nobody has come to me and said, Pastor Adam, my wife and I really want to have children. We just can't figure out how. So, see, we go hang out once a week at a, a concert. We occasionally talk on the phone. Sometimes we get really busy. Our schedules get a little overcrowded. She's got work to do. I've got travel and we won't see each other for a few weeks. But you know, we, we're just, we want to figure out how to have a baby and can't figure out where they come from. When, when do they show up? To be fruitful in multiplying humanity, to have babies and train them up well, it requires an intimate union, committed union with another person, a husband and a wife. And likewise, to be fruitful in multiplying abundant, joyful life in all areas of this world, we need to be commit in a committed union with one particular person, Jesus Christ. Without him, you'll not be able to do anything to flourish in this life as you were designed. That's Jesus' invitation for us today in this text. Abide in the true vine in order to bear fruit in the Father's vineyard. Everything apart from Christ in this world is worthless and will be destroyed. So we must abide in the true vine to bear fruit in the Father's vineyard. This story from John fits really well in his overarching theme of this whole gospel narrative of new creation life in Christ. God is breathing his spirit into a new humanity and placing this humanity in a new garden that it will be fruitful and multiply. So verses 1 through 8 will call us to be fruitful in Christ. And verses 9 through 17 invite us to have dominion with Christ. This is the Father's world. And he planted us in it to bear him much fruit. But apart from Christ, none of that is possible. So let's take a deeper look at this text together. In this vivid way, Jesus calls us to this task. Let's read verses 1 through 8 one more time as Jesus shows us how to be fruitful in Christ. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. 
Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." So Jesus is giving this vivid illustration now of what he means by a spirit-filled life that he promised in our text last week. The spirit will draw the disciples into Christ so they can be obedient the same way Christ was, by loving others and proclaiming truth. And he's using now rich imagery from Israel's history to show them that The Spirit is enabling them to do what was intended from the beginning, what Israel was called to be, but nobody was able to accomplish until now. Jesus continues with this, to explain this Spirit-filled life with a metaphor. He says in verse 1, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. This is the last of Jesus' seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world, the door to the sheepfold, the good shepherd, the resurrection in the life, the way, the truth, and the life. All of these things affirming and declaring his divine identity and authoritative fulfillment of all the scriptures. This time, he's now imagining a garden vineyard with God the Father as the owner of the vineyard. This world that we live in is God's vineyard, his garden, in which he expects much fruit for himself. Jesus is walking his disciples to the garden of Gethsemane, where he'll be arrested. And he's using the garden imagery to teach the disciples that he has come to bear fruit in the Father's vineyard by the Spirit breathed into a new humanity. This should be familiar to his Jewish disciples because God used garden imagery from the beginning of the Bible all throughout. We know that in the beginning, God made a special garden in Eden where the first people would have fellowship with God. And he breathed into them the breath of life and commanded them to work and keep that garden. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it. Take all of this stuff and create fruitful, abundant life and spread this garden to fill the entire planet so it'll be a fruitful garden for God. But before they could even get started, they sinned. They stole some of the fruit from God's garden for themselves, literally and metaphorically. And so he kicked them out. Later, God calls Abraham's family out of their desolate place in the east to come back to a fruitful garden-like land. God explains to Moses from the burning bush what this land is like. It's, It's this garden paradise where the land flows with milk and honey. They're gonna worship and have fellowship with God there. 
Psalm 80 reflects on this Exodus experience, saying it wasn't just the land that was supposed to be fruitful, but the people in it. It said, you brought a vine out of Egypt. God took a vine out of Egypt and, and you drove the nations out of Canaan and planted that vine there. Israel was supposed to be God's vineyard. The land was just a picture of what they were to become. So in Numbers 13, when the spies go in and check out the land, they return with clusters of grapes that are as tall as men and baskets full of figs and pomegranates. God's saying, this is the type of fruit I want you, my people, to bear. Now you know how the dismal story of Israel goes. Every single generation fails in this fruit bearing. Of course, God was merciful to each new generation in order to keep his own promises. But he didn't hesitate to punish and remove each generation from the land when they were fruitless. It just wasn't happening. So Jeremiah says, this choice vine has become degenerate. Ezekiel recalled how God planted this vine in the best soil, near the, the most nutrient-rich water, and he nurtured the, this vine, yet it's still dried up and must be uprooted. Isaiah laments, in Isaiah chapter 5, he laments the lost vineyard, and he promises that God is going to allow that vineyard to be trampled and dug up, in Isaiah chapter 1, he pictures the wrath of God coming upon the land like fire and salt, scorching the land so nothing can grow there ever again. But God still made promises to Eve and Abraham and Moses and David. He's going to restore the vineyard. He will renew his people through a king. So in Isaiah 11... God promises that a new shoot is going to come up from the scorched root of Jesse, who will be a righteous vine, who by the Spirit of God bears the fruit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge of and fear of Yahweh. Even this intimate picture of marriage in the Song of Solomon depicts a beautiful, fruitful intertwining of bodies of the husband and a wife. Calls it a beautiful garden of love and joy, which is to portray what God intends his people to have with him in his garden. So when Jesus comes and says, I'm the vine and the father is the vine dresser, he means all of this fulfillment, all of this history, it is time for its fulfillment. Thousands of years have proven nothing can grow properly in this world. Every human effort has only compounded the pain, the destruction. But a new vine is coming. And the branches that are on this vine will flourish and bear fruit. Any branches in this world that don't bear fruit, as evidenced throughout history, will be thrown out of the vineyard. The ones that do bear fruit, they just prove that they're connected to the vine, to Christ. And their lives will be pruned, cleaned, in order that they bear more fruit. 
The way Jesus will do this pruning, he says in verse 3, is by his word. His word is the little pruning shears that comes and cuts off extra growth that doesn't belong there. It's the sword of the spirit, as Paul says. It cuts off the parts of your lives that are sapping energy away from fruit bearing. Notice that Jesus says they're already clean, though. That's kind of interesting. The word clean in verse 3 is actually the same word in verse 2 for prune. And it's the same word in chapter 13, verse 10, when Jesus says that all of you are clean except for one, meaning Judas, right? But now Judas is gone. He's been cut out of the group because he was fruitless. And now the others are going to get more teaching and they're going to go through some more hardship as pruning so they will bear more fruit. The emphasis now is on them not being connected to Jesus, but remaining with him, abiding. Judas may have been around for a little while, but he didn't bear fruit. He wasn't truly a live branch. He's just a, a withering dead branch hanging out with the group. No branch can bear fruit in this world apart from Christ. Even though Judas was nearby, his betrayal was proof that he wasn't receiving life from the vine. So, as verse 6 says, that branch will be thrown away and burned. Fiery judgment awaits anyone who thinks they can find life apart from Christ. They are stealing from his vineyard. In all the earth, the only vine the only fruit-bearing vine is Christ. You can see in places around the world where there's no representation of God through a, a church, these are hard places to live. It's the nations where Christ has gotten a foothold and, and the church has flourished where there is more abundant life. Only fruit-bearing branches can bring life to people. And those people, Jesus explains in verses 4 and 5, are those who abide in him. His, we are all branches. He's the living vine. Apart from him, we can do nothing. It doesn't mean you can't get up and go to work. More than that. It means you can do nothing that will last. Nothing that will bring flourishing righteousness to your neighbors. Nothing that will fulfill God's plans. Nothing that will bring him glory and delight. There's a thousand things in this life that you may want to accomplish. Relationships to heal, job responsibilities, checklists at home, things to learn in school, new generations to raise up, a society to influence. None of it will be possible apart from Christ. So he's calling us to put our entire focus simply on remaining, abiding in Christ. And out from that, he will supply everything we need for all those other things. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Abide in Christ, and he'll care for you. Abide in Christ, and he'll help you accomplish what he's called you to do. By the lifeblood of his spirit flowing from Christ the vine through his word into you. And look at the promise then in verses 7 and 8. When you abide in Christ, you can ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. 
Earlier, he said something like that. He said, in my name, ask whatever you want, and I'll do it. In Jesus' name isn't just a tagline you put at the end of your prayer that somehow binds God to bow to your will. Jesus is telling us that when you ask in his name, according to his word, you are saying, as far as my prayer is consistent with Christ's character, as far as my words are consistent with his words, you get into the word and you, you stay attached to his vine and you, your prayers start to become his own words. Your will and your desires are transformed into his will and his desires. You take on the mind of Christ and you begin to live like him and think like him and talk like him and pray like him. And then you ask him, I need help. And he gives it to you in order to accomplish his purposes. In this way, verse 8 says, the father is glorified. You bear fruit. And that proves that you are Christ's disciple because the, the vine is giving life into you. Back in verse 1, Jesus said, the father is the vine dresser. He has taken your withering, lonely vine and grafted it, cut open a little slit of, of the vine, taken your branch, stuck it in there, bound it up, and nourished it, cared for it tenderly so that it will bear fruit. He's put all this work into you. And it glorifies him because it shows how merciful and kind, how patient, wise, and powerful he is to get fruit out of you. A withering, lonely branch. This has never been possible in history until Christ, the true vine, was planted. So what does this metaphor look like when it's called into reality. It's, it's a really cool image, but what does it specifically look like for people to bear fruit that glorifies God? Well, Jesus explains in the next verses, 9 through 17, it's about obeying his commands, but not as slaves, as friends who have dominion with Christ. We become partners in his work. Let's read those again, starting in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that, you, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. So now Jesus is bringing this idea of love back into the conversation. We talked about this a bit last week. 
chapter 14 gave us a taste of this Trinitarian theology that explain, explaining all of God's existence as a fellowship of love between Father, Son, and Spirit. And now, by the sacrifice of Christ, he's pouring out that spirit of love to welcome you into that eternal fellowship. And so he's picking up this idea of love again, saying, abiding in the vine, abiding in him, the vine, will bear the fruit of love. And then that love that you have helps you keep connected to the vine. It's that, that big eternal circle of love from the Father planting his Son in this world to love us that we could join in this fellowship so that we can abide in him. If you are in Christ, you abide in his love. The love of the Father flowing from him through you, through Christ into you. And the way that you see all of that love at work is by keeping his commandments. All of the commandments God ever gave were intended to show you how to love God and create a flourishing society of love in your home, in your church, in, in our world. Jesus always kept the Father's commands because together they were this prospering fellowship of love. Likewise, when we are connected to the true vine, it will create these analogous communities of love in our homes, churches, throughout our world. Following Christ's commands as they flow from the Father through the vine into us, this is the way we live, obeying his commandments. We are obedient because we love him. And his commands are not a burden. They are life to us. They are the love of God working in us. That's why John will say in 1 John 5, his commands are not burdensome. Jesus says, I give you my commands that you may have, my joy may be in you. And your joy may be full. It's not a burden. It's not duty. Delight. Abundant, loving, joyful life is experienced by ordering your life according to his commands because you are aligned in his vine. This is what following Jesus is all about. If he could narrow down all of his teaching to one idea, he says in verse 12, this, this is my commandment, was plural, now it's just one, that you love one another as I have loved you. How has he loved us? In verse 13, he explains how. He lays down his life for his friends. Jesus loves us by coming into this world, taking our sin upon himself, bearing the wrath of God, the fire and the salt that seems to make him lifeless, burying that choice root in the ground, but then it sprouted up still alive in his resurrection so that the whole earth will be a fruitful vineyard in Christ. You see that laying down your life for someone doesn't mean ceasing to exist or just getting out of their way, becoming a doormat for others so they can have a great life without you. Laying your life down for your friends means setting your own personal glory pursuits aside in order to create an abundant life with your friends. 
prioritizing them and their needs. Sometimes that might mean death for you. But Jesus' own resurrection guarantees that this death is unto a greater life with eternal friends. Jesus died and rose from the dead to create a fruitful garden. And the following chapters are going to continue that theme as we march towards Jesus' crucifixion. Right now, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he'll be arrested and taken to trial. He'll be killed, and they'll bury him, John will note, in a tomb that's in a garden. God is planting this choice root in his garden, in his vineyard. And then he'll rise from the dead, and he'll talk to Mary, who will be confused. She'll confuse him for the gardener, which is true because he is the head of a new creation humanity that is finally able to fill the earth with righteous fruit. Check out this crazy statement in verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command. If you do what I command, then you'll be my friends. Is that how this works? I get to be part of this vine if I obey you? Is he saying I have to earn his friendship? I have to work my way into the vine? Or is this a contradiction to say that friends have to obey commands from another friend? Aren't friends supposed to be equals? Doesn't a hierarchy and authority structure create a master-slave relationship? That, no, that's the way that an unfruitful, withering branch thinks. Authority is good. Authority helps define roles and responsibilities. I could be friends with my children and still have authority as their father. And it's even more delightful to be their friends as they mature. I can be your friends, even though I have pastoral authority to preach the word over you. But we can still delight in sharing much of life together. Authority simply clarifies responsibility. Jesus says in verse 15 that by laying down his life, he is inviting us into the conversation with the triune God. He's inviting us into his mission, making the Father's plans known to us. Slaves are never invited into the conversation of what their master is doing. They do what they are commanded because the master says so. But Jesus has invited us into fellowship with God. Even he is equal with God, but he bears the responsibility of executing this mission to die and rise from the dead to save his people. He had created with the Father this eternal plan of redemption. And had to execute that plan according to the Father's commands. And now in Christ, we are his friends. He lets us in, reading the words. We know what the plan is. He tells us how he's going to do it. He gives us support to make it happen. And now we obey him as his friends and go out and continue his mission. We're not slaves under his dominion, but fellow dominion takers, just as Adam was. Bearing fruit for God in all the earth. Now, in Christ alone, we can accomplish what God had designed. We can create fruitful societies in our home, in our churches, in, our, in, in the rest of this world. 
This is what we see happening in the early church. Paul says in Romans 6 and 7, he uses similar language. Christians are bearing fruit of sanctification and eternal life. Our old lives, he says, have died and been buried with Christ in his death. And we have sprouted from the ground, risen with Christ in his resurrection to bear fruit with him. Paul boasts with the Colossians in chapter 1, verses 6 and 8, that the church is bearing fruit and multiplying as they receive these words of life from the vine. Now, in case you're thinking, you're puffing up in pride a little bit, thinking, man, sure was smart of me to jump in on this vine thing. I'm so glad I chose to follow Jesus so I can be part of this awesome thing. Jesus says in verse 16, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you. I set you. I put you where you are that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. He's clarifying that you don't become his friend by keeping his commandments. You didn't get onto the vine because you obeyed him. No, just like faithful, unfaithful, unfruitful Israel, at your birth, you are a dead, withering branch that has no life in it. You are on your way to the burn pile. The vine of Christ alone bears fruit. Nobody's born onto the vine, yet the vine dresser must take the branches and graft them in. That's what Paul says in Romans 11. The only way we can have life on the vine is if the Father picks us up, grafts our branches into the vine. He chooses which branches will, he will give life to and which will bear fruit. Yet, in a really paradoxical way, he also does this by his word at work through us, through his people. We're friends on the mission, brought in so close. Now he says again, whatever we ask of our father, he will give to us. It's whatever you need to bear fruit. If you need courage, boldness, faith, knowledge, wisdom, more joy, more patience, he'll give that to you abundantly so you can more fruitfully proclaim his words and love others. When we speak his truth, his spirit brings more branches and plugs them into the vine. We keep growing until one day we become that promised garden city that fills the earth in Revelation 22, that has this tree that has 12 kinds of fruit and leaves that heal the nations. You are part of that growth. This has been God's great plan for your little twig of a life to connect you with that vine that you may bear abundant eternal fruit. So what does it look like for you to abide in Christ and bear fruit? Jesus summarizes it all in the last verse. These things I command to you, so you will love one another. Just as we began, you cannot be fruitful and multiply separated intimately from other people. You need to be committed to people, to work together with them. All these commands are not for you to keep by yourself, but with others. So what is he saying here? How are you to connect with the vine today? 
among one another. How do you get the Spirit bringing life through the words of Christ today? With one another. We are the growing vine of Christ today. The world, the whole world is God's vineyard, which is quite barren in many places and in many homes and increasingly in our own nation. But the vine is clearly alive. And your fruit of love for one another is God's plan for spreading that vine to the ends of the earth. Branches on their own will be starved of life, wither and die and burned in eternal fire. But if you abide with Christ, stay connected to Christ through his people, grow the vine in your home, mature in the church family, you will spread that out into this world around us. So let's look at those, finish up with those three thoughts. First, you need to abide in Christ in your home. Men, you need to fill your home with the words of Christ and practice the love of Christ with your family daily. Marriage should be a, like the Song of Solomon, this garden of love between intimate friends that bears the fruit of life. Husband as the head. These friends and lovers are intimately involved in the knowledge of this mission, execution of Christ's mission, so that your marriage bears fruit. Not just simply have kids. Bearing fruit in marriage is loving one another so deeply. You are on mission to prune each other and multiply faithfulness to Christ's words. And then your marriage becomes this flourishing garden that when you have children or you invite your neighbors and friends into your home, they're given just a sweet taste of the fruit that comes from being attached to Christ so that they may abide in him as well and be planted and bear fruit where God wants them. Second, or first, if you're not married, abide in Christ in your church. The church is the active vine of Christ. This new Israel grafted into the true Israel, Jesus. So if you want to bear fruit, like clusters of grapes that are six feet tall, you will connect as often as possible with your church family. You'll invite them in to speak the word into your life, to prune you with his truth, to remind you and feed you with his life-giving spirit. You'll prioritize Sunday worship. You'll devote yourself to community groups. You'll ask other brothers and sisters if you can come to their homes or go out to coffee or lunch with them because you need their help to grow in fruit. You'll lay down all of your life's pursuits to be able to more fully share this fruitful love with one another. The fruit of Christ's Spirit working in you is love. That's what Paul said in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. One fruit is love, but it takes the form of joyful fellowship together, peaceful harmony with one another, patience to bear with one another, kindness to build each other up, goodness that's concerned about other people's welfare, faithful commitment to be there with one another, gentleness in the necessary pruning work, self-control to focus all of our efforts on bearing one another up, 
to obedience to Christ's commands until we all attain the fruit of eternal life. And by this love together, finally, we pray that the world around us will bear fruit of repentance and righteousness, multiplying it into our communities and societies and nations around the world. Our country may have prospered for a little while based on previous generations' faithfulness, but we are withering. Despair, destruction, and death are becoming more prominent. The only way our neighbors will flourish is by the fruit of knowledge of God, fruit of repentance and faith, righteousness and fear of the Lord that comes from a church faithfully proclaiming the word to our neighbors. The vineyard of our world will only flourish when we abide in Christ, abide in the true vine in the Father's vineyard. When we have life in Christ, then we will be faithful to take this word, this fruit, into this dry and weary land and see it planted that one day this whole world will be filled with a flourishing garden of eternal love and joy. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the love that already exists in this church family and in the homes of this church body. And we, as beggars, just ask for more. You are an eternal well of love and delight. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God, we want to know them. Prune us to remove all that sucking life and energy away from being able to enjoy fruit of love with you, abiding in Christ our vine. We ask these things according to his righteousness, his holy name. Amen.